Section 6 of A Journal of the Plague Year by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dennis Sayers. Section 6 I have by me a story of two brothers and their kinsmen, who being single men, but that had stayed in the city too long to get away, and indeed not knowing where to go to have any retreat, nor having wherewith to travel far, took a course for their own preservation, which though in itself at first desperate, yet was so natural that it may be wondered that no more did so at that time. They were but of mean condition, and yet not so very poor, as that they could not furnish themselves with some little conveniences such as might serve to keep life and soul together, and finding the distemper increasing in a terrible manner, they resolved to shift as well as they could, and to be gone. One of them had been a soldier in the late wars, and before that in the low countries, and having been bred to no particular employment but his arms, and besides being wounded, and not able to work very hard, had for some time been employed at a baker's of sea-biscuit in Wapping. The brother of this man was a seaman, too, but somehow or other had been hurt of one leg, that he could not go to sea, but had worked for his living at a sailmaker's in Wapping or thereabouts, and, being a good husband, had laid up some money, and was the richest of the three. The third man was a joiner or carpenter by trade, a handy fellow, and he had no wealth but his box or basket of tools, with the help of which he could at any time get his living, such a time as this accepted, wherever he went, and he lived near Shadwell. They all lived in Stepney Parish, which, as I have said, being the last that was infected, or at least violently, they stayed there till they evidently saw the plague was abating at the west part of the town, and coming towards the east, where they lived. The story of those three men, if the reader will be content to have me give it in their own persons, without taking upon me to either vouch the particulars or answer for any mistakes, I shall give as distinctly as I can, believing the history will be a very good pattern for any poor man to follow in case the like public desolation should happen here, and, if there be no such occasion, which God of his infinite mercy grant us, still the story may have its uses so many ways as that it will. I hope never be said that the relating has been unfavorable. I say all this previous to the history, having yet, for the present, much more to say before I quit my own part, I went all the first part of the time freely about the streets, though not so freely as to run myself into apparent danger, except when they dug the great pit in the churchyard of our parish of Aldgate. A terrible pit it was, and I could not resist my curiosity to go and see it. As near as I may judge, it was about forty feet in length, and about fifteen or sixteen feet broad and, at the time I first looked at it, about nine feet deep. 
but it was said they dug it near twenty feet deep afterwards in one part of it, till they could go no deeper for the water. For they had, it seems, dug several large pits before this. For though the plague was long a-coming to our parish, yet, when it did come, there was no parish in or about London where it raged with such violence as the two parishes of Aldgate and Whitechapel. I say they had dug several pits in another ground when the distemper began to spread in our parish, and especially when the dead carts began to go about, which was not in our parish till the beginning of August. Into these pits they had put, perhaps, fifty or sixty bodies each. Then they made larger holes, wherein they buried all that the cart brought in a week, which, by the middle to the end of August, came to from two hundred to four hundred a week. And they could not well dig them larger, because of the order of the magistrates confining them to leave no bodies within six feet of the surface, and the water coming on at about seventeen or eighteen feet, they could not, well, I say, put more in one pit. But now, at the beginning of September, the plague raging in a dreadful manner, and the number of burials in our parish increasing to more than was ever buried in any parish about London of no larger extent, they ordered this dreadful gulf to be dug, for such it was rather than a pit. They had supposed this pit would have supplied them for a month or more when they dug it, and some blamed the churchwardens for suffering such a frightful thing, telling them they were making preparations to bury the whole parish, and the like. But time made it appear the churchwardens knew the condition of the parish better than they did, for the pit being finished the 4th of September, I think, they began to bury in it the sixth, and by the twentieth, which was just two weeks, they had thrown into it one thousand one hundred and fourteen bodies, when they were obliged to fill it up, the bodies being then come to lie within six feet of the surface. I doubt not, but there may be some ancient persons alive in the parish who can justify the fact of this, and are able to show even in what place of the churchyard the pit lay better than I can. The mark of it also was many years to be seen in the churchyard on the surface, lying in length parallel with the passage which goes by the west wall of the churchyard out of Houndsditch, and turns east again into Whitechapel, coming out near the Three Nuns Inn. It was about the 10th of September that my curiosity led or rather drove me to go and see this pit again, when there had been near four hundred people buried in it, and I was not content to see it in the daytime, as I had done before, for then there would have been nothing to have been seen but the loose earth, for all the bodies that were thrown in were immediately covered with earth by those they called the barriers, which at other times were called bearers but I resolved to go in the night, and see some of them thrown in. There was a strict order to prevent people coming to those pits, and that was only to prevent infection, 
but after some time that order was more necessary, for people that were infected, and near their end, and delirious also, would run to these pits, wrapped in blankets or rugs, and throw themselves in, and, as they said, bury themselves. I cannot say that the officers suffered any willingly to lie there, but I have heard that in a great pit in Finsbury, in the parish of Cripplegate, it lying open then to the fields, for it was not then walled about, many came and threw themselves in, and expired there, before they threw any earth upon them, and that when they came to bury others, and found them there, they were quite dead, though not cold. This may serve a little to describe the dreadful condition of that day, though it is impossible to say anything that is able to give a true idea of it to those who did not see it, other than this, that it was indeed very, very, very dreadful, and such as no tongue can express. I got admittance into the churchyard by being acquainted with the sexton who attended, who, though he did not refuse me at all, yet earnestly persuaded me not to go, telling me very seriously, for he was a good, religious, and sensible man, that it was indeed their business and duty to venture and to run all hazards, and that in it they might hope to be preserved, but that I had no apparent call to it but my own curiosity, which he said he believed I would not pretend was sufficient to justify my running that hazard. I told him I had been pressed in my mind to go, and that perhaps it might be an instructing sight that might not be without its uses. Nay, says the good man, if you will venture upon that score, name of God, go in, for, depend upon it, twill be a sermon to you, it may be, the best that ever you have heard in your life. Tis a speaking sight, says he, and has a voice with it, and a loud one, to call us all to repentance. And with that he opened the door and said, Go, if you will. His discourse had shocked my resolution a little, and I stood wavering for a good while. But just at that interval I saw two links come over from the end of the menories, and heard the bellman, and then appeared a dead cart, as they called it, coming over the streets. So I could no longer resist my desire of seeing it, and went in. There was nobody, as I could perceive at first in the churchyard, or going into it, but the barriers and the fellow that drove the cart, or rather led the horse and cart. But when they came up to the pit, they saw a man go to, and again, muffled up in a brown cloak, and making motions with his hands under his cloak, as if he was in great agony. And the barriers immediately gathered about him, supposing he was one of those poor delirious or desperate creatures that used to pretend, as I have said, to bury themselves. He said nothing as he walked about, but two or three times groaned very deeply and loud, and sighed as he would break his heart. 
When the barriers came up to him, they soon found that he was neither a person infected and desperate, as I have observed above, or a person distempered in mind, but one oppressed with a dreadful weight of grief, indeed, having his wife and several of his children all in the cart, and was just come in with him, and he followed in an agony and excess of sorrow. He mourned heartily, as it was easy to see, but with a kind of masculine grief that could not give itself vent by tears, and, calmly defying the barriers to let him alone, said he would only see the bodies thrown in and go away. So they left importuning him, but no sooner was the cart turned around and the bodies shot into the pit promiscuously, which was a surprise to him, for he at least expected that they would have been decently laid in, though, indeed, he was later convinced that was impracticable. I say, no sooner did he see the sight, but he cried out aloud, unable to contain himself. I could not hear what he said, but he went backward two or three steps, and fell down in a swoon. The barriers ran to him and took him up, and in a little while he came to himself, and they led him away to the pie-tavern, over against the end of Houndsditch, where it seems the man was known, and where they took care of him. He looked into the pit again as he went away, but the barriers had covered the bodies so immediately with throwing in earth, that though there was light enough, for there were lanterns and candles in them, placed all night round the sides of the pit, upon heaps of earth, seven or eight, or perhaps more, yet nothing could be seen. This was a mournful scene indeed, and affected me almost as much as the rest, but the other was awful and full of terror. The cart had in it sixteen or seventeen bodies, some were wrapped up in linen sheets, some in rags, some little other than naked, or so loose that what covering they had fell from them in the shooting out of the cart, and they fell quite naked among the rest. But the matter was not much to them, or the indecency much to any one else, seeing they were all dead, and were to be huddled together into the common grave of mankind, as we may call it. For here was no difference made, but poor and rich went together. There was no other way of burials, neither was it possible there should, for coffins were not to be had for the prodigious numbers that fell in such a calamity as this. It was reported by way of scandal upon the barriers that if any corpse was delivered to them decently wound up, as we called it then, in a winding sheet tied over the head and feet, which some did, and which was generally of good linen, I say it was reported that the barriers were so wicked as to strip them in the cart, and carry them quite naked to the ground. But, as I cannot easily credit anything so vile among Christians, and at a time so filled with terrors as that was, I can only relate it and leave it undetermined. 
Innumerable stories also went about of the cruel behaviors and practices of nurses who tended the sick, and of their hastening on the fate of those they tended in their sickness. But I shall say more of this in its place. I was indeed shocked with this sight. It almost overwhelmed me, and I went away with my heart most afflicted, and full of the afflicting thoughts, such as I cannot describe just at my going out of the church, and turning up the street towards my own house. I saw another cart with links, and a bellman going before, coming out of Harrow Alley, in the butcher row, and on the other side of the way, and being, as I perceived, very full of dead bodies, it went directly over the street also, toward the church. I stood a while, but I had no stomach to go back again to see the same dismal scene over again, so I went directly home, where I could not but consider with thankfulness the risk I had run, believing I had gotten no injury, as indeed I had not. Here the poor unhappy gentleman's grief came into my head again, and, indeed, I could not but shed tears in the reflection upon it, perhaps more than he did himself. But his case lay so heavy upon my mind that I could not prevail with myself, but that I must go out again into the street, and go to the Pie Tavern, resolving to inquire what became of him. It was by this time one o'clock in the morning, and yet the poor gentleman was there. The truth was, the people of the house, knowing him, had entertained him, and kept him there all the night, notwithstanding the danger of being infected by him, though it appeared the man was perfectly sound himself. It is with regret that I take notice of this tavern. The people were civil, mannerly, and an obliging sort of folks enough, and had till this time kept their house open and their trade going on, though not so very publicly as formerly. But there was a dreadful set of fellows that used their house, and who, in the middle of all this horror, met there every night, behaved with all the reveling and roaring extravagances as is usual for such people to do at other times, and, indeed, to such an offensive degree that the very master and mistress of the house grew first ashamed and then terrified at them. They sat generally in a room next the street, and, as they always kept late hours, so when the dead cart came across the street end to go into Houndsditch, which was in view of the tavern windows, they would frequently open the windows as soon as they heard the bell and look out at them and, as they might often hear sad lamentations of people in the streets or at their windows as the carts went by, they would make their impudent mocks and jeers at them, especially if they heard the poor people call upon God to have mercy upon them, as many would do at those times in their ordinary passing along the streets. These gentlemen, being something disturbed with the clutter of bringing the poor gentleman into the house, as above, were first angry and very high with the master of the house for suffering such a fellow, as they called him, to be brought out of the grave into their house. 
but being answered that the man was a neighbor, and that he was sound, but overwhelmed with the calamity of his family, and the like, they turned their anger into ridiculing the man, and his sorrow for his wife and children, taunted him with want of courage to leap into the great pit, and go to heaven, as they jeeringly expressed it, along with them, adding some very profane and even blasphemous expressions. They were at this vile work when I came back to the house, and, as far as I could see, though the man sat still, mute and disconsolate, and their affronts could not divert his sorrow, yet he was both grieved and offended at their discourse. Upon this I gently reproved them, being well enough acquainted with their characters, and not unknown in person to two of them. They immediately fell upon me with ill language and oaths, asked me what I did out of my grave at such time, when so many honester men were carried into the churchyard, and why I was not at home saying my prayers against the dead-cart came for me, and the like. I was indeed astounded at the impudence of the men, though not at all discomposed at their treatment of me. However, I kept my temper. I told them that, though I defied them or any man in the world to tax me with any dishonesty, yet I acknowledged that, in this terrible judgment of God, many better than I were swept away and carried to their grave. But to answer their question directly, the case was, that I was mercifully preserved by the great God whose name they had blasphemed and taken in vain by cursing and swearing in a dreadful manner, and that I believed I was preserved in particular among other ends of his goodness, that I might reprove them for their audacious boldness in behaving in such a manner, and in such an awful time as this was, especially for their jeering and mocking at an honest gentleman and a neighbor, for some of them knew him, who, they saw, was overwhelmed with sorrow for the breaches which it had pleased God to make upon his family. I cannot call exactly to mind the hellish, abominable raillery which was the return they made to that talk of mine, being provoked, it seems, that I was not at all afraid to be free with them. Nor, if I could remember, would I fill my account with any of the words, the horrid oaths, curses, and vile expressions, such as, at that time of the day, even the worst and ordinariest people in the street would not use, for, except such hardened creatures as these, the most wicked wretches that could be found had at that time some terror upon their minds of the hand of that power which could thus in a moment destroy them. But that which was the worst in all their devilish language was that they were not afraid to blaspheme God, and talk atheistically, making a jest of my calling the plague the hand of God, mocking, and even laughing at the word judgment, as if the providence of God had no concern in the inflicting such a desolating stroke, and that the people calling him God, as they saw the carts carrying away the dead bodies, were all enthusiastic, 
absurd and impertinent. I made them some reply, such as I thought proper, but which I found was so far from putting a check to their horrid way of speaking, that it made them rail the more, so that I confess it filled me with horror and a kind of rage, and I came away, as I told them, lest the hand of that judgment which had visited the whole city should glorify his vengeance upon them, and all that were near them. They received all reproof with the utmost contempt, and made the greatest mockery that was possible for them to do at me, giving me all the opprobrious, insolent scoffs that they could think of for preaching to them, as they called it, which indeed grieved me rather than angered me. And I went away blessing God, however, in my mind, that I had not spared them, though they had insulted me so much. They continued this wretched course three or four days after this, continually mocking and jeering at all that showed themselves religious or serious, or that were any way touched with the sense of the terrible judgment of God upon us, and I was informed they flouted in the same manner at the good people who, notwithstanding the contagion, met at the church, fasted, and prayed to God to remove his hand from them. I say, they continued this dreadful course three or four days, I think it was no more, when one of them, particularly he who asked the poor gentleman what he did out of his grave, was struck from heaven with the plague, and died in a most deplorable manner. And, in a word, they were every one of them carried into the great pit which I have mentioned above, before it was quite filled up, which was not above a fortnight or thereabout. These men were guilty of many extravagances, such as one would think human nature should have trembled at the thoughts of, at such a time of general terror as was then upon us, and, particularly, scoffing and mocking at everything which they happened to see that was religious among the people, especially at their thronging zealously to the place of public worship, to implore mercy from heaven in such a time of distress, and this tavern where they held their dub, being within view of the church door, they had the more particular occasion for their atheistical, profane mirth. But this began to abate a little with them before the accident which I have related happened, for the infection increased so violently at this part of the town now, that people began to be afraid to come to the church, at least such numbers did not resort thither as was usual. Many of the clergymen, likewise, were dead, and others gone into the country, for it really required a steady courage and a strong faith for a man not only to venture being in town at such a time as this, but likewise to venture to come to church and perform the office of a minister to a congregation of whom he had reason to believe many of them were actually infected with the plague, and to do this every day or twice a day, as in some places, was done. It is true the people showed an extraordinary zeal in these religious exercises, and, as the church doors were always open, 
people would go in single at all times, whether the minister was officiating or no, and, locking themselves into separate pews, would be praying to God with great fervency and devotion. Others assembled at meeting-houses, every one as their different opinions in such things guided, but all were promiscuously the subject of these men's drollery, especially at the beginning of the visitation. It seems they had been checked for their open, insulting religion in this manner by several good people of every persuasion, and that, and the violent raging of the infection, I suppose, was the occasion that they had abated much of their rudeness for some time before, and were only roused by the spirit of ribaldry and atheism at the clamour which was made when the gentleman was first brought in there, and perhaps were agitated by the same devil, when I took upon me to reprove them, though I did it at first with all the calmness, temper, and good manners that I could, which, for a while, they insulted me the more for thinking it had been in fear of their resentment, though afterwards they found the contrary. I went home, indeed, grieved and afflicted in my mind at the abominable wickedness of those men, not doubting, however, that they would be made dreadful examples of God's justice. For I looked upon this dismal time to be a particular season of divine vengeance, and that God would, on this occasion, single out the proper objects of his displeasure in a more especial and remarkable manner than at another time, and that though I did believe that many good people would, and did, fall in the common calamity, and that it was no certain rule to judge of the eternal state of any one by their being distinguished in such a time of general destruction, neither one way or other. Yet, I say, it could not but seem reasonable to believe that God would not think fit to spare by his mercy such open, declared enemies that should insult his name and being, defy his vengeance, and mock at his worship and worshippers at such a time. No, not though his mercy had thought fit to bear with and spare them at other times, that this was a day of visitation, a day of God's anger, and those words came into my thought. Jeremiah, verse 9. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord, and shall not my soul be avenged of such a nation as this? These things, I say, lay upon my mind, and I went home very much grieved and oppressed with the horror of these men's wickedness, and to think that anything could be so vile, so hardened, and notoriously wicked, as to insult God and his servants, and his worship, in such a manner, and at such a time as this was, when he had, as it were, his sword drawn in his hand, on purpose to take vengeance, not on them only, but on the whole nation. I had indeed been in some passion at first with them, though it was really raised, not by any affront they had offered me personally, but by the horror their blaspheming tongues filled me with. However, 
I was doubtful in my thoughts whether the resentment I retained was not all upon my own private account, for they had given me a great deal of ill-language too, I mean, personally. But, after some pause, and having a weight of grief upon my mind, I retired myself as soon as I came home, for I slept not that night, and giving God most humble thanks for my preservation in the imminent danger I had been in, I set my mind seriously, and with the utmost earnestness, to pray for those desperate wretches that God would pardon them, open their eyes, and effectually humble them. By this I not only did my duty, namely to pray for those who despitefully used me, but I fully tried my own heart, to my full satisfaction, that it was not filled with any spirit of resentment as they had offended me in particular. And I humbly recommend the method to all those that would know, or be certain, how to distinguish between their zeal for the honour of God, and the effects of their private passions and resentment. End of section 6